Good evening. You are listening to the Yena podcast. It's uh, Tuesday, the 13th of December, and joining me this evening have Bronwyn. Hello. And a special guest, Anka Richter. Kia ora. And um, we have no Mark. We can't even Mark. say he's here in spirit because we don't believe in the afterlife, so. <laughs> well, are, you, are you telling us he's dead? <laughs> Maybe by well, the time es- he's get- that, that escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mark has other priorities. Apparently, solving puzzles at Puzzle Pint is more important than um, appearing on the podcast that he's scheduled to appear on regularly. But anyway, oh well, no I mean, shade I ha- for well, well, Mark. Well, uh, Craig, you know, you do remember when we had we had an example of those puzzles at our Friday social night pre-conference, and I think you may recall how devilishly hard they were. So I can understand why maybe Mark is still on the first set of puzzles. <laughs> yeah, but I'm blaming it. I'm blaming how hard they were on the fact that I drank about three or four beers beforehand. So, <laughs> <laughs> and and I I always find that I don't perform my best when there's a lot of noise around me. So. <clears throat> Um, yeah, so oh. those are my excuses. Anyway, we better we better introduce Anka. Um, am I saying your name right? You are exactly like Danke, you know, German Danke, Anka. You got you okay. got it. Perfect. Excellent, cool. Uh, so Anka is uh, you describe yourself as a freelance journalist slash reporter. Uh, you originate from Germany. You still do some um, journalism for uh, German media, but you've been living in Aotearoa, New Zealand, for around 20 years. Um, And you've recently published a book, your first one in English. Uh, Would you like to tell us the name of that book? Yeah, thanks. It's called Cult Trip Inside the World of Coercion and Control, and it's published by HarperCollins. And it's basically, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the readers on a bit of a trip through all the groups that I've researched and the cult experiences I've also had myself. And it's so it's based it's based on mainly um, two big cults from New Zealand, one that still exists, Gloria Vale, and the other one, uh, Centerpoint, but also Agama Yoga in Thailand, which is a, a neo-tantra cult which I um, helped to expose a few years ago so there there's quite a lot of ground to cover and a lot of similarities mm. between these um, three very seemingly different groups but um, mm. I've come up with some of my own observations of what binds them together and that is actually sexual abuse yeah mm. wow okay well we, stuff, we, really. <laughs> we will get into that a bit later <laughs> yeah. but you had a great segue there Craig whereas well, mine's slightly foolish <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so we'll get into that later. I mean, so in all seriousness, we did expect Mark to be here, and um, but he, he is he is waylaid. So um, he may arrive, he may not. But anyway, we will, we will, we will get, uh, we'll talk about your book in a little more detail a bit later on. Um, but uh, I'd like to get started uh, talking about the baby blood donation case that's been going on in mm. uh, the last couple of weeks. So for a bit of background, so there's there's a baby, a four-month-old baby who we're not actually allowed to name because um, the the case has name suppression. But having said that, um, it's very, very well known, um, the, firstly, the name of the baby and, and also the, the names of the parents. Um, I've, I've seen it on YouTube. 
Well, it doesn't really but help it, that when the case first came out, I mean, you know, their places were plastered on the media. I mean, they had the videos up and everything. So they did identify themselves. And then it's kind of, you know, you know, the cat's hmm. out of the bag. The horses, you know, fled the stable. Yeah. So there's this four-month-old baby with a heart condition and unfortunately uh, needs an operation. And the parents... Um, are objecting to the use of vaccinated blood. Well, not vaccinated blood, but blood from donors who have been vaccinated with the COVID vaccine. This seems to be pretty irrational to me. Um, so from what I've learned about the the parents, um, the, the mother is a midwife who uh, is an anti-vaxxer and was mandated out of her job because she refused to be vaccinated. So that's kind of unfortunate, isn't it? Uh, so the the baby has this heart condition. They need to do the surgery. It's only four months old. And so as part of the surgery, there will be a blood transfusion involved. And they are wanting to say, no, we want to use... We've, we've, we've gathered some people who have uh, agreed to be donors of blood and they haven't been vaccinated and they want to use that blood. Um, and unfortunately, I, I think... The, the the system isn't set up that way to to use the blood of anybody who just wants to rock up and uh, and provide a donation. Uh, as you know, I'm certainly not a medical person, but uh, um, Bronwyn, have you got any comment about how that how that works? A uh, few things. I mean, direct. You know, there is a public interest in directed donation. Um, but when we look at the science of it, what they find, and a lot of these studies are done in the U.S. in a sense, um, that there actually is a higher risk of um, transfusion reactions um, when you have directed donations, as well as transmission of um, bloodborne diseases. And even when that directed transmission is um, that tra- directed donation is by the parent, the risks stay the same. <laughs> so you know, it's, right. you know, a lot, oh, a lot of people having uh, having secrets in the background. Anka, do you have a comment? Yeah, I guess there's also um, an ethical question, not just a, just the medical uh, the medical risk. Um, what if what if you're a white supremacist and you don't want to get um, blood from a black person? Are we okay with that? Yeah, Probably exactly. Not, and, and that's what I thought. I mean, this is a this is a slippery slope, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, well, what, what, you could have any sort of criteria. Exactly. Are you going to say, okay, I don't want blood from from somebody who's gay? Exactly. Or, uh, yeah. Feminist. <laughs> but, but you know this. There's a lot of other ways. Don't want woke blood. (laughs) Well, but there's there's other things, particularly in the maternity sphere where we use blood products. And it's not always, you know, a big bag of um, red um, compressed red blood cells or packed red blood cells, as we should say. Um, It's anti-D, which is this tiny little vial of clear fluid that we give to women who've, um, you know, if there are negative women and they've had, you know, babies who have have a positive rhesus, um, we give them this little tiny vial of um, blood product because, you know, it helps them, you know, from developing the antibodies that attack, you know, future children. Mm. Um, so are we, are, is that, that's going to be a big slippery slope because we do, we do give that to a lot of women, you know, probably even mm. more so than we do blood transfusions. Right. right. But coming from yeah. a healthcare sphere, my sort of perspective from, you know, looking at the big picture of how we operate hospitals, um, I don't know if we say it un- unethical, but it certainly would be uncivic in many ways, um, a directed blood donation because, Blood's needed all the time. And, you know, if you're looking for, if people are directly donating, then ethically you have to adhere that this person is 
donating this blood directly for this child. Now, the child may not need all this blood, but if you have a hospital mm. that's constantly having blood transfusions or you have a mass casualty, yeah. you know, the well, person's direct donation can't yeah. go, can't go to where it's prioritized. Where it's, yeah, it's and it can, yeah. And the additional difficulty, again, is the storage. You know, yes, having this heart surgery is urgent. But if there's a child who actually is needing a surgery, surgery even more urgently or they're on the brink of death and the surgery can save, then, you know, this baby in question maybe bumped down a bit. And then how do you store that blood? You know, it becomes an absolute nightmare of administration and, uh, you know, storage because blood needs to be stored properly and it needs to be processed and tested properly. And I'm mm. really, you know, I'm interested in these claims that people are trying to start up these organizations that will provide an alternative uh, blood service <laughs> for the unvaxxed because, hey, you know, coming from Canada and we have the tainted blood scandal in the 1980s, 1990s, where, um HIV tainted blood entered entered distribution. Um, mm. What what kind of regulations will these sort of private organisations be held to? Yeah, yeah, they're really not set up to to do that. I wouldn't think it would need a fairly large investment in infrastructure in order to be able to build that sort of service that could compare to our excellent New Zealand blood service. Mm. Um, so the other interesting parts of this, of course, are the involvement of the the people who were advocating for the parents. So one of those was um, Liz Gunn, who I think we've talked about before. Uh, yes, we so have. She, she, uh, she's a former TVNZ broadcaster and uh, had some some legal did some legal work, but she's kind of been out of the limelight for nearly twenty years, but has popped back up during the pandemic, and is uh, seems to have some very far out ideas about how how things work, um, and she is she's now trying to set herself up to stand for parliament. I think it's is it called Free New Zealand? Is that what she's calling her? Party. Ooh, we should have to find one, out. I think. But but even more importantly, she was um, the first worthy mention of uh, this year's Ben Spoon Award. There, Craig. Well, indeed, yes. Yeah, well, she was. <laughs> she was. A, she was a, a, a somebody in consideration. She was kind of a runner-up uh, for her crazy, crazy views. Uh, actually, am I allowed to use that word? I don't think I should be saying crazy. But... Ah, you can't say that. <laughs> Extremely unconventional. Uh, <laughs> yeah, extremely unconventional views. Um, so she got involved. Um, she has supposedly been advocating for the parents at the hospital. She showed up at Starship um, and was involved in meetings with the medical professionals. The medical professionals got so sick of what she was doing that they essentially walked out of the meeting. Uh, and... As it turned out, she's she was eventually um, trespassed from Starship for for two days uh, for just being a uh, um, <laughs> being a pain in the butt, I would guess. Oh, uh, certainly not helping the situation. Um, so, uh, so the the whole thing went to court. Starship applied to the court to be able to provide medical guardianship for the child. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the judge uh, granted that that's in place until uh, late January next year. So there are medical professionals who are now uh, deciding 
what is best for the for the baby and going ahead and having the operation that the, the parents objected to because of the, the blood. There was some video that emerged online of, of a confrontation between the, the parents and um, some police who showed up to essentially take the baby to do the um, pre-operation tests. Uh, the, the father in particular was quite adamant that the police were uh, going to be committing crimes by taking the baby away. Uh, and I saw an interview that Liz Gunn did with the father and, and the mother. And uh, I mean, from from what I could see, Liz Gunn was just sort of stoking stoking things. And it's it's just amazing. I mean, it's they've they've got these weird ideas in their head that they're going to be the baby's going to be given this blood that is going to be so dangerous to it. Uh, and then, of course, <laughs> they went on uh, Alex Jones's Infowars show. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the thing is with blood transfusions, vaxxed or unvaxxed, the transfusion reaction, it's a rare, it's a very un- rare risk. I, I haven't come across it, but I know colleagues who have in my sphere of work of midwifery. But vaxxed or unvaxxed, you can't control for it in many ways. Mm. Um, but I think people should be aware that when it comes to these cases, doctors who have to administer care to a child, if they do so without consent, are pretty much protected by the Children's Act of 2014. Right. So how does that work? Uh, well, basically, I mean, that you do try to get the consent, but there will be there will be situations where you that consent cannot. Oh, I see. You're unable to okay. get that. So if the doctors need to go and make those decisions, they can't, and they are protected from legal persecution. Prosecution. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yes. any threats to the doctors and saying, "Oh, you're doing what you're doing is illegal," well, no, it's it's protected. No, no. It's protected no. And we we really do have to believe that the doctors are acting in their best medical um, expert opinions and mm-hmm. providing the best care for the for their patients. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're they're not these evil people. I, I did note in that um, in that video interview that the the father was describing the police as uh, people dressed up in police uniforms, <laughs> and <laughs> and people. Everyone's a crisis actor. We're get, we're getting a lot yeah. of this, you know, QAnon language popping through, aren't we? Yeah, it's it's just very very strange. So. Uh, Liz Gunn's reaction to this is that it's all Jacinda Ardern's fault. <laughs> I don't think Jacinda Ardern has been involved in this at all. Um, and Liz Gunn is even claiming that uh, that she goes and checks her car every day because she thinks that she's going to be murdered um, for for opposing <laughs> opposing the medical professionals. Does she does uh, she have a bit of a savior complex? Um... <laughs> Ah, uh, some just, kind of messiah weird. complex because you must have seen well, this, the excellent piece that Charlie Mitchell wrote about her. That's yes. that's when I caught up on it all because I've been actually offline in the bush for for most of last week, and then finally got around and and, and couldn't believe what I what I read. Well, it, it, but it's, it's strange that you should mention yeah. the messiah. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's making allusions of this yeah, right? four month old baby bit, uh, yeah. this uh, case the happening cut. around Christmas time, and comparing it to the birth of Jesus Christ that exactly. changed the, next, the world. The next coming of Christ, right? <laughs> in, in Auckland, yeah, uh, great. And uh. and and yeah, it seems that uh, Liz Gunn has these delusions that she's somehow seeing angels around this baby, protecting it. Yeah, it gets it gets very weird. It's, very it's, it's when yeah. I mean I think this is where you really see conspirituality at work, where the mystical and the and the esoteric meets the disinformation. Yep, she, yeah, she yeah. seems to be right there. 
Um, and then the other the other person involved in all of this is um, our friend uh, the lawyer Sue, Sue Gray. Gray. <laughs> uh, so she yeah. was the the legal representative um, for the parents uh, in court. Uh, so she can chalk up another loss. Um, <laughs> And uh, amusingly, today we saw uh, Sue Gray actually got uh, taken into custody for contempt of court. Um, so that was uh, kind of amusing. If you're into uh, Schadenfreude, as uh, I'm sure as a German you are. Yeah, and I think the most amusing part was to read that there was a small group of supporters, among them a dog and a goat. <laughs> you you, you got to love these people from... <laughs> I'm going by. <laughs> I wonder if the goat was there against against their will and misrepresented. <laughs> misrepresented. Yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's kind of. I mean, we can laugh about it, right? But it's it's also really really sad to see. I actually spent last night watching. Um, so against my will, but then I thought, no, I've got to watch this. Somehow, a link popped up about a, a video made by an anti-vax filmmaker who was at the protest and capturing the protest. And I thought, okay, I might I might just I might just watch this and get some insight. And you know what? At the end of it, I thought, wow, so many people who who are clearly in the right, maybe not the right, well, state of mind is not really fair to say, but they're in the right state of heart, actually. They, they, they believe in something, they get together, they, they sing beautiful songs and they, they feel united and they're with all their passion to change the world and make it a better place and stand up against what they see as injustice. So, you know, I get that. And it's just so sad for me to see how they're being misled and led on by these leaders like Sue Gray. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think all this potential, all this passion, all these these wonderful people of our Aotearoa, if they would come together and stand up for, you know, against climate change or other you know, real injustice, what a difference that could make. And and so I've, I have a lot of compassion for these people. And I have also a lot of anger for those who are leading them on. And Sue Gray is right up there at the top. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think she's definitely just in it for the money. But also, I think she still has she still has this sort of belief that there are there are dangers in the vaccine, and that's that sort of comes across when you see her in court. That she's essentially coming across as a zealot, and she's got this belief and this idea that she thinks is true, and uh, it just drives her to say these most outrageous things that aren't, aren't actually based on what evidence, unfortunately. Well, she's a she's a victim of uh, misinformation too, and she's also a perpetrator. And if, if you, if you know, in that sense, if you look at it, as, I mean, my my stuff at the moment is looking at cults, and and I see so many parallels of people who've come under. You know, come under the spell of something bigger that sucked in, sucked them in, and I don't really know what it was for her, but something must have happened to her in that way as well. But then, when does the victim become, you know, become the the perpetrator? Yeah, the perpetrator. And, yeah. And and I think and, she's definitely arrived there. Yeah. 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 I, 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 and, uh, I was going to say, Karen. Craig. I was going to say, Craig. I recall with our um com- our online joint conference with the Australian skeptics um last year. You know, we did have someone who spoke about how particularly women are targeted by these wellness and alternative medicine um medicine groups. And yeah, I absolutely. You know, a little bit of it can be attributed to. God, what can I say? Um, a lot of women's concerns being dismissed, or at least certainly poor education and poor training amongst amongst a wide variety of healthcare professionals. I'm not just dogging on the doctors, but um, you know, you talk, you try to find someone who 
you know, if maybe it's another woman who understands what you can go, you're going through and tries, you know, within that hour that you're in a particular appointment and, you know, the longer appointments are more likely to be given by alternative medicine, homeopathy, um, Mm -hmm. naturopaths, you know, and within that hour, you feel a lot more listened to than you would in a 15, 20 minute appointment that causes you, that costs you, you know, an arm and a leg. Mm. That's that's so true, and and that's you know if we listen to some people who have fallen into anti-vax beliefs, it's often because maybe they've been turned away when they call the hotline at the hospital because their baby's not you know breathing or has a fever after vaccination. They think it's related to the vaccination, and and they get dismissed or they they get treated like they're crazy or hysterical, and then they fall into the arms of a very compassionate group of anti-vaxxers who understand their worries and they're there for them, and that's that's how it usually starts. And like you know it it, it also comes down to privilege, of course. And if you if you have experienced the health system in a hostile way, because either because you're you're seen as a hysterical woman, or you're 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 an indigenous person, or you know you encounter racism, whatever it is, or you're disabled, or you know there are lots of reasons um, to feel marginalised. Then it, it's a lot easier to become suspicious and then find your like-minded crew amongst those who are also anti. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to finish this off, uh, the the really surprising thing that came out of this is that Sean Plunkett (laughs) is actually not in support of the anti-vaxxers, and he's come out quite uh, vocally in saying that uh, he thinks that uh, that they are they're misled and that uh, that the the hospital was doing the right thing, and so on, and that has then now raised the ire of Voices for Freedom. Well, he, apparently he's like, he's going to be hung now because he's coming out against. Of course, he's going to be on the Nuremberg list next. But you know, yes. keep in mind who his backers are. In a really weird sense, it's the Wright Foundation, the Wright family, and they are invest quite he- well. Particularly, Chloe Wright is certainly um, you know the whole the whole foundation is invest very heavily into the primary units across the country, and trying to you know argue for better maternity care. Um, so maybe in this really weird way, these right-wing evangelical Christians are coming around to, you know, surgery and vaccination and, you know, how this whole, I want to hope that, you know, they're coming around to the idea that, hey, this misinformation campaign is actually worsening maybe maternal mental health. But that's a, you know, that's a bit of a pipe dream there. So mm. I'm wondering, you know, but as I say, you know, the Wright Foundation does, you know, fund the platform. Right. So how yeah. how much is Sean Plunkett uh, telling us what he really thinks? <laughs> Getting a bit conspiratorial, I, think, I know. But. I, I think he's just doing it to get the maximum audience numbers, really. Mm. And uh, he's, yeah. So apparently um, he has Michael Laws on, on our Fridays and there was a regular slot um, where the Voices for Freedom woman uh, went and, and spread their misinformation on uh, his show, but that has now been uh, cancelled, and they're a little bit upset about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, a bit of infighting never hurts. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. Eat your young, die from within. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Um, I guess it'll die down a little over Christmas, but I saw tonight there's another family who wants their child to have an operation and not use vaccinated blood. And they're mm-hmm. talking about setting up a give a little campaign to raise money to send the child to India. That's um, a terrible to- idea. Yeah. Terrible wow. idea. So- Imagine taking a child with a terrible, you know, with a, you know, a malfunctioning heart on a plane ride to India. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, Terrible. But so I think someone made the point that, you know, you, you're going to start potentially having this sub, what can I say? What's the word I'm thinking of? Um, you know, underground market, a black market of people who will, you know, be paid to keep their children on, you know, or be, you know, remain unvaccinated so that they can donate blood for cash, you know? And so you have, again, that medical tourism thing coming up. Speaking, yeah. speaking of give a little, <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good moment to throw in why this is all so close to my heart because I'm, as you guys know, of course, I'm, I'm also um, co-founder of Fact Art at All, Fight mm-hmm. Against Conspiracy Theories, and I've just come off our one-hour Fact Christmas hui tonight. <laughs> and what we did at the, at the end, just before I jumped off uh, to come on this call, we did a little roundup of all the great things we did um, this year because, you know, we've struggled sometimes and it's tough being volunteers and doing all this work and having all this hate we against know. you. And you know, right? Where's your so it was really good to boost the morale by doing a little, you know, a little quick sort of fact roundup of what have we achieved. And one of the things that were top of the list for me was we filed a complaint with the law society against Sue Gray. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let's hope, let's just hope that um what happened today was in court in Nelson. Um and apparently the 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 judge there is quite a tough cookie and she had no time for Sue. And um, just hoping that maybe that has a roll-on effect on the law society and they're not just sitting on their hands and something will come out of our official complaint. Yeah, well, the, the judge did make the comment that um, and something to do, something to the effect of that it's unbecoming uh, for a lawyer for, for Sue Gray to be behaving like that in court. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully this will be the straw that breaks the camel's back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the, I mean, we, I mean, we do know that the this um, legal uh, thing with the law society has been going on for about eighteen months now. Exactly, or it's it actually been very slowly. Very very slowly. Yeah. In fact, Aotearoa is now a registered charity, and if you want to spend some money um, this Christmas on something charitable, you can support our work and donate via our website. It would be great. And so nice. that we're not just supported by the NZ skeptics, by the but also by the wider public. Yeah. So so back in 2021, last year, um, <laughs> in fact, Aotearoa was awarded $500 from the New Zealand Skeptics for their Skeptic of the Year. Um, and uh, it's <laughs> taken quite some time for fact to get into the state where they can actually accept the donation. So you uh, have no idea what it takes to, now. <laughs> to, to, to have a, to become a charitable trust. I tell you, it's quite a process. <laughs> right. We're finally right. there. Yeah. 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 Well, well, we'll I think be I, pleased I, to pay it. Thank you. Well, I think this is a great segue into talking a bit more about Anka's work at large. I mean, yeah. so what came first? Was it fact or, um, you know, your work with Centerpoint and similar groups? Oh, okay. What came before fact was actually Rabbit Hole Resistance. Um, yeah. It's a Facebook group, right, that we started during the pandemic. Just a bunch of friends um, who were concerned about how uh, some some alternative festivals, especially Illuminate in that case, were turning fully into full-blown conspiracy platforms. And um, then we started this Facebook group, which was a, became the to-go-to platform for people, not so much mocking and shaming, but really sort of sharing their concerns about family members or friends who have fallen down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And then a few of us were a bit more action-minded, and then we started FACT, just a, just a bunch of us. But um, Centerpoint and my cult work came long, long, long before that. So it started about 
10 years ago, almost almost by chance, um, oh. that I came across someone from Centerpoint and I thought, wow, what what a, what a big story. This, this sex cult existed in New Zealand and people went to jail and they manufactured drugs and no one's written a book about this. How come? Yeah. And I was <laughs> maybe a bit, bit naive at the time or also it didn't seem so unsurmountable because I thought I'll just write down this one woman's story. But then it became a much, much bigger project. And over the course of the next years, I went out to write a book about Centerpoint. I had a publisher then, a contract and everything. And two years in, I had to ditch the whole thing. So halfway through or two thirds through or 90% through, whatever. I, I, it was. It just became such a heavy load that I couldn't carry anymore. And why, I mean, you you will know when you read the book why, why some stuff was so heavy. Yeah. I mean, I've read Cult Trip. It just released, was it October? October of this year? First week of November. Yeah. It came oh, first out. week of November. Okay. I have no sense of time. Um, so first week of November, I've read the book completely amazing read. And you do sort of go through that journey of, you know, Gloria, you know, uh, not Gloria Vale, sorry. Gloria Vale comes at the later, um, but going through center point and then how you sort of had to change and sort of step away from, um, from center point. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, about that journey or, and maybe what brought you back to center point in the end? Yeah. So, so center point was my um, accidental entry into into cult journalism and um, I think one of the reasons why I was also interested in it, it was the time around that time I um, I sort of became interested I know you, you guys are going to cringe but I, I I went to a new agey tantra festival in in Byron Bay and 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 was and dropped all my cynicism there for um, reasons that I'm still trying to figure out what my Achilles <laughs> was and was what drew me in but something drew me in something clicked and um, I was converted so to speak and and started attending quite a few courses with ISTA, which you know well because you've done some um, great reporting um, on your newsletter and podcast about it as well. So I think the fact that I was at that time already sort of dabbling or interested in um, well, what they call conscious sexuality myself, and I was also I've always been drawn to communities, especially since coming to New Zealand and and having friends up in um, the Tui community and going to a little alternative festival here called Convergence. You know, I I, I gravitate towards people. People who who live in these live these more alternative lifestyles, whatever you want to call it, and um, so, so it wasn't it wasn't that strange and weird to me that people would go and live in a community and maybe open up their relationships and do all sorts of sort of crazy therapies. Yeah, that in itself didn't strike me as so weird or wrong. But then because of because I came in maybe with that more open mind. I wasn't, I'm not a Christian conservative, obviously, who was judging these motivations and intentions. Um, I was even, I think I was even more sort of shocked. Yeah, I had skin in the game in some ways. I was more shocked that this had turned out so badly. And I wanted to know why and also where where are these people now? What what has happened to their children, especially? Because as we know, a center point, a study has shown that um, every third child um, has been, um, has most likely been sexually abused there. And and that wasn't everything. There were also levels of, of neglect and emotional abuse and all sorts of cultic abuse across the board. And I was I was really fascinated by also how do people deal with the aftermath? And I guess it has to do with me being German as well, um, mm. you know, being mm. affected by growing up in a post-war Germany or my parents actually are more post-war German because I'm, I'm the generation after that. But growing up with this guilt and this big question of, well, hang on, how, how can normal people – 
do really bad things? How do they and how do they come back from that? And how does the society come back with, for that from that? So in a, in a way, um, Center Point also had these big moral questions for me. The aftermath of it all. Um, yeah, I mean, gosh, there's there's so much so much to tell you about that. Mm. But after two years, I gave I gave up on the book and mm. thought this is it. I had to bury it. I had legal threats. I had um, I had vicarious trauma. I was diagnosed with PTSD from that research. And a friend of mine wow. died in a car crash. I was in grief. I just couldn't do any more heavy lifting. I mean, mm. I've I've interviewed so many people, and especially one woman who you know, um, Bronwyn from the book, Louise, who's yeah. never told her story to any one before who I would say is probably the most severely abused child at Centerpoint and she's never even spoken to that in our session, she never mm-hmm. even spoke to a therapist about it or even for the a court case. She had to type everything up. And I was the first person when she was in her late 40s who she told this whole story to. And I have no training in you know, sexual abuse counseling. Or mm. I don't get any supervision on that. For As a freelance journalist, I was completely on my own, out of my depth, quite overwhelmed. I was very um, lucky that later on, but, but it was almost too late, I, I had Nicky Hager as my mentor, which was, which was great. I owe a lot to him. He really got what I was trying to do and, and help me with some, some moral questions and some, you know, some tricky bits of how to disguise people and not get in, you know, the whole mm. sort of investigative journalist stuff that I was struggling with as well. And long story short, I gave up center point. Um, I thought that was it, borrowed that felt like a massive loser because I had a, a good publisher and a contract and it would have been my first book in English. Um, I, my, my previous ones were all published in Germany. So I felt like a big professional failure as well. And also letting people like Louise down who given, you know, who gave their story to me and were hoping that they, you know, that this would have an impact and less children will get hurt in the future. And mm-hmm. people understand those dynamics and I couldn't do what I had allowed to do. But then I wrote the making, off for um, North and South. And even that, even though that felt like only such a small portion of what I had researched, it still had a roll-on effect. And a woman, a fantastic woman here in Christchurch, a GP, um, Caroline Ansley, came out of the woodwork as an abused child from Centerpoint and started the Centerpoint Restoration Project. And then a few years further on, there were documentaries that I also worked on or I inspired them or I gave some of my research to them and so on. So it wasn't all for nothing. And in the meantime, I'd become, because of all these years that I try to understand what happened at Centerpoint, I've got more and more, I get, I guess, cult-informed. Um, I looked into other groups and then Agama Yoga, that, that big story about Agama Yoga in Thailand broke. And I was the only reporter there on the ground, again, to look at the aftermath. Um, and then Gloravel was an obvious, an obvious story to fall into my lap. And I went and investigated mm-hmm. it for, um, for New Zealand Geographic. And again, with Gloravel, it wasn't so much just exposing the bad things that happened there. It was also having the compassion for the people who have come out of there and what they're struggling with in the aftermath, because that's it's kind of where my focus is. I want to shift our, our focus from, oh, look at these weird people and these weird cults doing weird shit. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty, plenty of material out there we can watch and docos and they have that focus. But, but I want to shift the focus to anyone could be that person. How do we mm. take it more seriously? How do we have compassion? How do we not, not think us versus them? And how do we help people to come out of it and treat them accordingly when they come out? Yeah. Mm. And hold those accountable who've, who are responsible for their, for the harm. I, I guess the, the, the case of Gloria Vale is really interesting in that 
in comparison, say, to Centerpoint. I mean, Centerpoint is no longer, um, and it's a thing in the past, but Gloria Vale is still an ongoing, is still a going concern, and there are still people in there, and and it concerns me. I mean, you see all these stories that leak out into the media about the the, the goings-on and potential for abuse, uh, particularly of, of employment um, relationships and so on. Um, it's It's kind of scary that, this is kind of like a disaster happening in slow motion, and that it's yeah, still, it's it's like how a replay. Do we go about helping those people, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like a replay, and it's it's a it's a it's a nightmare. It's it's a gulag. I I I feel really firm in saying that now. I wouldn't have said this a few years ago, but what we know since the slave labor cases have you know since the labor cases, slave labor, yeah, these mm. cases have been in court. There are more more cases to come next year. Sexual abuse cases. A few of them have already happened. I mean, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg so far. So, and of course, I'm you know like you, I'm asking myself, how how can that be possible, especially after Center Point? Have we learned nothing? Have authorities turned a blind eye again? And I think they have because because Gloriavel is Christian and because it's yeah. such a sort of modest, friendly, um, cute almost um, veneer, yeah? And they had a, mm. a, a very sugar-coated um, series on TVNZ taxpayer-funded that showed them in the most positive light that was basically ticked off um, by by Gloriva, which which for me doesn't make it a documentary, but a but a PR <laughs> a program for yeah. them. And, and, right. and it's it's just, I mean, for to me, it really, this is just shocking, not just what happened happens in there and happened in there, but also the blind eye that the public and the authorities um, have turned to this for such a long time. And I bet you, if they were all, if this was a hippie cult in the bush somewhere, I'm pretty sure more people would have alerted the police earlier to them. But because it's yep. it's and you know this is why cars are such a feminist issue. Gloria Vale is a perfect example for this because it's only quote unquote you know air quotes here the subjugation of women. Mm-hmm. Um, we're so used to it; it's so normalized. It's it's not a big. It, there's no big outcry here. It's sort mm-hmm. of seen as a well. You know we know it's you know it's the Christians and they kind of do that. But yeah, it's now we have human rights violations here on a on a really big scale, in in one of the most egalitarian. <laughs> countries in the world like how does that go together why do these people they're all new zealanders not have the same rights as everyone else does and i mean if if adults go into something i mean it's bad enough yeah if if people get yeah. abused and and yeah. and subjugated and whatnot in cults as adults yeah that shouldn't be happening to anyone but especially gloria we're looking at the majority of the people in there are children or young mm. adults who yeah. have been born into it. They never had a choice, yeah. right? No, I think, exactly. I, think, I mean, when I think about, you know, when you look at how you booked in, you sort of bookend literally your book with um, Center Point at the beginning and Gloria Vale at the end, um, I guess what the sort of really weird difference was is that people, you know, Center Point, they sent their kids to the local school. It's just the kids gradually, you know, maybe, you know, end up having the, you know, drop out in the sense, in the hippie sense of the word, because the school, you know, their lifestyle wasn't real. the school, the, the, their lifestyle at Centerpoint and the school system, the traditional school system of New Zealand in the 1970s and 80s, you know, just didn't mesh. And it was just easier to, you know, just tune out. At Gloria Vale, it's a very insular system. Like Gloria Vale, like those kids don't go to school outside of Gloria Vale. It's all kept very secret and very tight and very hush-hush. They, live, think- in a, they live in another country, basically. Mm, exactly. It, mm. it, and then when they come out of there, 
they are refugees from another country and like another or that might as well ref, be refugees from Mars because they know very, very little. They are so brainwashed. They've been so – the whole culturalization has been so, so different. And and I – yeah, I I really hope once once you know the leaders have been or the abusers have been tried in court and hopefully Gloriaville has to make amends and pay reparations and I hope they will crumble under under that in some way or implode. Well, we'll see. Next year could be you know could be really really interesting what happens. But I also hope that we see. A, you know, we I hope that it goes a bit further. That that there will be big questions like who has been doing big business with Gloriaville. I've I've just mm. been on the west coast because we have a piece of land there, um, and I love it over there. And Gloriaville is on the west coast, so it's very close. You know, it's it. it they're, they're, they're people's neighbors there pretty much, even though they, if they're tucked away in the bush, but they, they should come to Greymouth and they throw um, a big white tangy day picnic in Greymouth and they throw these concerts every two years that people flock to and see it as a bit of a f- free freak show where they can go home with a loaf of butter yeah. and a bit of bread and get some family entertainment. And so I think we also have to really question of how complacent have people been in the area because mm-hmm. Gloriaville is a massive economic player. It's, it's, and, it's yeah. sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I mean, no, it, sure. This was one of the big questions that came up, I think, for all of us after we watched the proper Gloria Vale documentary with um, that had the that followed the Courage family in a sense. Yeah. Um, because when we ever and whenever anyone sort of talks in the media about Gloria Vale industry, it kind of feels like they're about four or five years behind. They'll talk about the Sphagnum Moss business, but that's been they haven't sold Sphagnum Moss to the U.S. for a few years now. They talk about oh, they owned an airline. The airline's been shuttered for a bit, and I kind of wonder if it's just they make money by building up these businesses and equity really quickly and then selling it off and then reinvesting it into some other into some other schemes because I know they also used to do the um, hunting tours and that's now been sold off so it sounds like there's a sort of ongoing you know Ongoing yeah, scene. I mean, I've, I don't know all the ins and outs of of, uh, of their business models. I mean, hunting obviously with COVID, there were no, you know, it was it was more difficult because mm-hmm. there weren't uh, because tourists weren't coming in. But I would, what I'd like to see, and that's not just for Gloriaville, also exclusive brethren. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. how how about maybe maybe that would be a great project for the skeptics. <laughs> how about we 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 see a list of companies or goods or products that are, you know, we could put a little, we could make a little sticker and put it on. And said, "Don't buy cult made." You know, like we have stickers buy <laughs> buy New Zealand made. We have stickers, "Don't buy cult made." I would love yeah, to yeah. see that. We'd, because we'd be slapping that on all sanitarium products, wouldn't we? Exactly. <laughs> Let's start with those, and there would be a lot more because the brethren and our own many businesses and Gloriaville, we know they're honey, and I wouldn't even know what they're all called. But wouldn't it be wouldn't it be good to sort of you know hit them where it hurts, and that's with you know follow the money, really follow the mm-hmm. money. And mm-hmm. this is in the end, and I've seen this with a lot of cults. In the end, it's where you. You know, it's where you get them. It's with tax violations or tax fraud or anything that undercuts their threatens their business model. This is when you know. This is when shit gets serious. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I hope we can we can raise the awareness. And if we could look at it, look. You know, if 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 we if, let's let's say if there was an extremist community in 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 Aotearoa that was that was built on racism and they would somehow justify this with a Bible, yeah, or some mm. some religious belief system, yeah. Do you think people would just happily go to their concerts and buy their products and think they're just cute because they will wear a certain dress or so? Or wouldn't there be an an outcry and people would there would be picket lines outside and so on? And I think we should treat it in the same way. This is a deeply, deeply sexist, misogynistic um patriarchy in our midst and and we've just let it 
flourished for way too long. And my rent's yeah, older now. <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's it's always a problem that it's uh, perhaps seen as criticizing religion and religion certainly does get a free pass in many societies around the world. Well, that's the uh, problem, yeah. right? Freedom of religion. And I, I mean, I can see, and this is the thing I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm all for, you know, exploring whatever you want and, and believing what you want. And, and, and I've been to many crazy courses and I mean, we're not going to use the word crazy, anymore, but interesting courses <laughs> and workshops over. We'll just bleep that out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say interesting. Cause that's the, that's the key way of saying, <laughs> Something's, something's pretty off. But I, you know, yeah, sure. You know, we, I, I get it that people are looking for, for something. And at the same time, freedom of religion, does, does it's not a free pass for abusing people and for exploiting mm. them and, and for sexual abuse and, and for, for, for scamming and whatnot. So I think we, we should just, we should really rethink the whole thing of freedom of religion and giving tax-free status, especially to, to those mm-hmm. organizations. <laughs> yeah, let's see that. Right. <laughs> um, just to sort of close off, I just have a sort of a question for you regarding, you know, the future in a sense. Um, you know, you do you have sort of mentioned in your time with us about, you know, the second, you know, this PTSD that came from, you know, working and being and being empathic to everyone to the people that you worked with through the center point case and you also mentioned about you know the importance of trying to maintain compassion through with working with people from you know talking to people and bringing people out of gloria vale and your mentorship with mickey hager now you know we've seen you sort of you know you were recently profiled in canvas magazine regarding ista and we're starting to see some interest in the ista and Haydn phenomenon happening slowly um what sort of you know what sort of boundaries and how are you going to proceed forward with these sort of issues um with taking the learnings that you've taken from uh center point and you know the aftermath of that for yourself wow Bromwell, that's a big question and it really it's a big midwifery midwifery type question because we we make us do these reflections and we have to think about (laughs) what you're going to do how are you going to protect yourself no but it it really hits home because yeah it's been it's been i mean it's been hard enough as you know doing some of the cult research i did but at the same time i was always clearly in the role of the journalist even if i was the compassionate journalist or the conflicting journalist but i always knew i'm doing this on behalf of other people and for the greater good and and it's very clear what i'm calling out and what i'm bringing to light and then now i'm finding myself in the position that over the last i mean over this year really that so much has come to light about Esther. I mean, I've been critical of Esther for four years. I've been, I put this was when I pulled back. I've been um, outspoken in some smaller groups, every now and then a, a Facebook post somewhere. And I mean, uh, every time that was nerve wracking for me, which again shows the sort of <laughs> hold they've had on me, yeah, that I was, I was scared of, you know, even, even though I wasn't close to these people anymore, and still there was something in me that, felt like I'm I'm a traitor or I'm doing the wrong thing or I'm putting myself outside of a community and I'm betraying the good experience I had at some stage. So all these cultic mechanisms were totally playing out for me. And then this year, um, suddenly, you know, the critical mass, people coming together, starting a Facebook group called Issues with Istan High and Temple Training, short iwi, interestingly, which means tribe in in Maori, which is which I don't think um, the, the group, which is international, really realized, but it's kind of kind of almost <laughs> ironic because Ista always calls itself tribe yeah, in a very yeah. misappropriated right. kind of way, new age kind organism, of way. Organism. Uh, and, and organism, of course. So that was, that's been one of my pet issues uh, f- for years already, that they called, call themselves an organism. And I 
I've had I've had um, some debates over that with some of the facilitators when I when I try to bring up things that you know where that where I was critical or I challenged them. There was I always got this cop out of oh we're just an organism, we we don't tell anyone what to think. And I thought yeah well but actually <laughs> when, I, when I look at your social media post there is so much groupthink and um, mm. the organism is for me it's just the obfuscation. It's one of these these words as you know cults you know use use cultic language you know language changes when you're in a in a cultic group and using the word organism when you actually have school in your title and you have a, a faculty and you have a curriculum and whatnot and you offer trainings I mean these are all words that is to use but then oh all of a sudden they're an organism because it then they can't be held accountable in the same way as a as a proper yeah. organization it and then there's refuses. not it diffuses it responsibility. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, right. Okay. I mean, this is, I didn't. I don't mean to shy away from the from the question that you asked me because for me it, it is really conflicting because I um I came out of the closet with my when my book came out I basically came out of the closet and there was just one day after the story broke on RNZ about Esther. Um, my, my story, which has been planned for that date for a long time, because of my my book coming out, I also you know went public saying I was I was in that school I was in this group and um, if it hadn't been from the for the RNZ story just the day before you know maybe that would have sort of stayed under the radar but I would have at least you know I would, I would have been transparent and honest about that but most people wouldn't have even known what ISTA is or they wouldn't have really mm. it wouldn't have really said you know it wouldn't they wouldn't have really had any idea and with the with with but but because this activism had already happened and people coming together in this iwi group and a bunch of um really fabulous um actually yeah conscious sexuality educators and um neo tantra whatever facilitators from from california they had been calling them out and and confronting ista and forming this really Really, quite impressive little activist group, and a bit similar to when you look at Gloria Vella, the people who've really done all the super important activism are Christians themselves. They're, they're mm -hmm. the Gloria Vella Leavers Support Trust, and they all come from a Baptist church in Timaru. So, because they have skin in the game, because this is you know they are more worried about the good name of you know Christianity being tainted by something as extreme as Gloria Vella, they they are more passionate about doing something about it. And I guess it's a bit like that for some people in the neo-tantra scene as well, that they see Esther as this wild child, not just a, and as a competition, but more, you know, giving it all a really bad name and doing it and going about it in the, in the wrong way. So all this came together. I became aware of that. They contacted me. I've been talking to them as well. So I was kind of, you know, always sort of aware of this whole call out and very close to it and very nervous about it because I thought, oh my God, this has stayed under the radar for so long in, in New Zealand and now it's all going to come out and my name is going to be somehow linked with that and how do I feel about that? And all of a sudden I felt like I was... <laughs> Like I'm a former cult member disclosing what I've been part of while I was also researching all these cults. And I'm I'm still I still struggle, to be honest, to outright call them a cult. It's 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 so um it's it's difficult. And again, it's very mm -hmm. typical, I think, for people who've been in something that they tend not to look at their own group as a cult. It's always easier for other people to slap that label on there. But it's not even for me so much to, you know, I'm not the cult police. I'm not here to say yes, they are, they're not. It's a it's a it's a sliding scale, it's a trajectory, and I'm hoping to see 
change. And I hope that this organism, organization, school, whatever, is able to to do better. But I tell you what, from what I'm seeing right now, it's only happening, or if it's happening, it's only because there's media exposure and because mm-hmm. there are some activists doing, you know, really putting putting the heat on. And some people from Israel have, you know, have have contacted venues and and got them to cancel some Easter trainings and yeah. and. Israel, their you know their rabbi, who's one of the head honchos of Vista, there he had to step back and go on a air quotes here sabbatical, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh hard, oh hard, Pella. Well, I know him. I've met him in New Zealand. He's he's actually been to my house. You know, this is how close all this is to me. And looking at these people who, at the time, I was sort of impressed by, and maybe you know, felt flattered that they would come and visit me here at our place, and Oh, it's it's sad to you know to know that there's there's another side to them, and I don't know if that's always been there, and I was just blind to it, or because I wasn't in the, in the target group of yeah. those those people who you know who the predators were hitting on. Did I just not see it, or have they changed, or have I changed, and have become more cult aware and more consent aware, more, and therefore clearly I'm I'm appalled and I'm saddened by it all, and I I think things need to change, and I'm I'm one of these people who. Looking back, I've, I think I've mainly had positive experiences there, but I even see those in a more critical light now. Like, was it was it just a you know? Did I get hooked on a drug that I wanted more and more mm. of? And is that kind of part of the part of the program as well? And so I'm I'm still going through a process of questioning a lot of things that I that maybe weren't that clear to me a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right. So, what am I going to do about this? From one to answer your question, I don't know yet. I, I'm I'm glad to be honest that I'm not one of the journalists doing doing the investigation into Ista because I think it's it's hard. I have massive respect for um, Ruth Hillard Arnz who's been doing this, and I know there's been legal pushback, and I know that um, Ista has already sent um, legal letters around also to some people from Facebook groups and whatnot. So there is a certain level of mm-hmm. intimidation um, coming from them, and and I feel for these these colleagues also who taking who are taking them on and just trying to do their job and put some information out so that people can make a more informed choice before they you know give give their money to something and think exactly. that it's going to be transformative and amazing and so on. At least they should know the full picture. Mm. Wow! <laughs> yeah, well, right? been, this has been an amazing <laughs> conversation. <laughs> oh, I could I could go on and on and I mean you you guys really understand it because I I was really impressed with um, Bronwyn's research as well and uh, just sort of the Thank backstory you. of Haydn and understanding all these dynamics and switch and more and so on so I I feel I have a fellow cultbuster here in <laughs> in New Zealand by my side and it feels really good oh, yeah excellent. yeah well we can, we should do something about it is what we, we should, should do we need to channel that yes. energy yeah combined yeah, forces exactly. yeah. yeah love to awesome. Okay, well, we've made it through an episode without Mark showing up. <laughs> this is this is a uh, this is uh, quite quite a record, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, we geez, we've gone on for a while, haven't we? Well, big shoes, all good. Big shoes, to, that usual fluff. Huh? Big shoes to fill, but we we did our best. I hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah we did. Indeed. We did excellent. I don't know. Uh, I, think so, I, I think you'll have an easy job, Craig. I don't think you can edit out much of that. <laughs> No, indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, so I, I, we, this is um, our last episode before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I guess uh, Mark certainly wants to uh, record again in two weeks. So uh, that'll just be after Christmas. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, but I hope that if all of our listeners have a, have a nice holiday break. If everybody is taking a holiday, mm-hmm. I'm having a couple of weeks off. So I'm looking forward to that, heading down to Mahia Beach with my family. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to that. And I'll be uh, I'll be drinking my craft beer and uh, enjoying my Yola book and flute with uh, my husband. Get some new books for Christmas. Excellent. <laughs> Wonderful. I'll be in Little Chalam at Christmas, my boys from Wellington and my husband and German friends, and then um, off to a little alternative festival, which I've avoided for the last years because there were a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of division there. But I'm trying to bridge the gap and coming back with sort of fresh hopes that there can be a, a new start. And um, yeah, and then uh, hopefully some time in the sunshine on the West Coast later on. Awesome. Thanks, guys, for having me. Thank you so much. I love you. Awesome yeah, to have you, Anka. We'll, yeah, we'll have you back anytime. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, no Skeptics in the Pub coming up? No, from- no, there is. Um, we will have Skeptics mm-hmm. in the Pub this Friday, 6 p.m. at the Lobby Lounge inside the Intercontinental Hotel on 2 Gray Street. Not to be mistaken for Two Gray Street, the restaurant. Um, and then we'll also have another meetup, um, again, another Skeptics in the Pub on the 30th of December. Hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, speaking of Skeptics in the Pub, we had a very successful one in Auckland um, a couple of weeks ago. Well, no, last week, I think it was. <laughs> um, we had around 20 people show up. I, 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 feel yeah. that, I feel that this was a, you know, was it a real Skeptics in the Pub or was it a special Skeptics in the Pub? Well, we did have the hosts of the European Skeptics podcast show up. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, they were great to talk to. And But, yes, I'm hoping that next year we will see a resurgence and we will get those sorts of similar numbers along to the Dice and Fork <laughs> in Victoria Park Market on the first Tuesday in the month. Um, oh, it's, it's a regular thing now. Theory, yes. Although that's kind of like the second of um, no, third of third of January next year. I'm very doubtful that's going to happen. But anyway, <laughs> we'll see see how we go. You can do it, Craig. I believe in you. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so you have been listening to the Yenow podcast. If you'd like to give us some feedback, you can send us an email to uh, news at skeptics.nz. We will sign off and uh, we will see you all next time. Bye. Adios. Cheers.